0: actually start with verse 1, Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, "Hear what the unjust judge said, and and shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes." Will he find faith upon the earth? There's kind of some very foundational things that I want to cover, but first and foremost, really it starts out in verse, the very first verse saying this is a parable, but it, I actually like parables that instead of, I mean there's several parables in the Bible that you get to the end of it and kind of go, I don't get it. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get. And it's confusing. Like, what role is God and what role is me? And, you know, and there's some of them that are a little bit mysterious and they kind of take on different interpretations for different preachers or theologians. I love this because he says, this is a parable. And then he literally tells you, this is what it means. Men always ought to pray and never lose heart. So you have the actual interpretation to the parable before you even get engrossed to it and start going, what does this mean? I don't get it. Um, But the other thing, too, is at the end of the parable, it specifically says, when the Son of Man comes. The specific language in in verse 8, if you look there, it says, when the Son of Man comes. This parable is actually speaking specifically to the return of Jesus Christ. It's speaking of the last days, and it's speaking of the generation of his return. And so actually... And like we've discussed multiple times with scripture, oftentimes we kind of take a very isolated passage of scripture and we think that it is almost unto itself without realizing it's really a continuation from the passages that are preceding, um, but also the passages after it, that they're all interconnected and they relate. And so if you actually look and if you flip to chapter 17 here. We're actually gonna we are gonna look at 18, but we're actually gonna begin in 17 because this is actually where Jesus is speaking about the last days. And then as he's speaking about the last days in the return of Jesus Christ, he continues in Luke 18, giving you a parable for you to have wisdom as far as how to live. Um, so then, if you pick up in verse 20 of chapter 17, it says, "And when he was asked by the who was he asked by Pharisees. The, Pharisees. the Pharisees, just note that for a moment." <laughs> When, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, the question that they were asking is, when is the kingdom going to come? They were looking for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor, nor will they see, say, see there or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, first and foremost, if you actually study the word within, because I know oftentimes we think, oh, the kingdom of God is within me. Um, but actually he's speaking to the Pharisees and I mean, in all honesty here was the kingdom of God within them. They actually rejected and Jesus rebuked them saying that they, they were full of dead men's bones and there were whitewashed tombs. I mean, does not sound like the kingdom of God was within them. That word within actually means in your midst. It's in the midst of you. It's among you. And literally what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is wherever there's agreement and partnership with Jesus. That's an exciting thing. That when we're living in agreement and Jesus was walking upon the earth, those that were walking in agreement and partnership with Him, they were establishing the kingdom. And so what He was saying is, you're not looking necessarily for this or that or a sign or a. It's, it is among you. It's in the midst of you, the kingdom of God. And it's where there's partnership with Him. And then actually He goes on to say, nor will they say, see there or see there, this is verse 21. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Verse 22. And he said to the disciples that the days will come when will, you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they, they will say to you, look, there, look here or look there and do not go after them or follow them. For as lightning that flashes out of one, one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So basically what he's actually doing is he's highlighting that at the first coming of Jesus Christ, there was actually nothing catastrophic happening that actually testified to it. There was no extraordinary signs. But actually what he's saying is in that day, if they're saying, let's go out here to see him and this is where he is, he's actually saying, don't go out with them. Because it's going to be like lightning in the sky that will flash from east to west. There is no one that is not going to know that he's returned. So actually the second coming is the opposite. There's nothing about it that won't be catastrophic, that there will be signs. I mean, even in the New Testament, it says no one knows the day or the hour, but these signs are given so that you know and you can perceive. So basically what's happening is here is he's outlining what the first coming looked like, and then at the second coming, that there really will be no doubt or question. Um, And it says, and as it was, this is verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man, at the return of Jesus. So think about it this way. If you've studied the life of Noah, for those of you that don't know Noah in the Old Testament, basically it was said that there was none righteous. There was not one righteous other than Noah. Everyone had been given over to wickedness. But what the Lord did is he spoke to Noah and he said, I'm going to flood the earth, build an ark. And so Noah, in obedience, built an ark, even though the earth had never seen rain before. So he was actually perceiving and preparing for something that mankind had never known or experienced. Crazy! So Noah prepares the ark. And then actually it was through that that it was the deliverance for for him and his entire family. And why we have animals today. (laughs) 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 Two of every kind. (laughs) Anyway, they marched into the ark. So as it was in the day of Noah. That's the background of Noah if you're not familiar with him. But this is in verse 27. It says, they ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed all of them. Isn't it remarkable that it doesn't actually speak of the sin in their culture? It doesn't speak as far as how they had been given over. It's speaking of very common, ordinary, they ate, they drank, they married. What well, we all do, right? <laughs> Who doesn't do that? <laughs> but that's actually what he's, he's speaking. And it's, it's almost like that's actually the charge that's against them. But if you go on in verse 28, it says, Likewise, as it was also in the day of Lot... How many of you guys are familiar with Lot? Yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. For those that you, of you that are not familiar, if you look at the story of Sodom, it was a city that was completely given over to sexual perversion. I mean, there's horrific... I won't even go into it right now because that's not the point. <laughs> but there's a horrific accounts of what was taking place in that city as far as the vileness of humanity that had come. And Lot was in that city, and he was living there. And basically what happened was is the Lord delivered them out before it was it was all fire and brimstone that came to destroy the city but as they were going lot's wife actually turned back to look at the city and they were instructed not to look back she turned back to look at the city and she turned to a pillar of salt so the lord in his mercy was delivering her but she actually looked back and it was in the understanding of it it's not like she just physically you know looked back there was a place that the lord was judging the longing of her heart the attachment of her heart to that place. And it actually says specifically in verse 28, like it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on a housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember, this is an entire verse. Verse 32 is, remember Lot's wife. It's a warning. He's he's saying, remember Lot's wife. And then in verse 33, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So let's just take a couple of minutes to kind of break this down. So they basically came asking Jesus, when is the kingdom of God? And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's identifying the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to actually contrast the first and the second coming, the, the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And actually what we find in those is that they were just continuing about as business as usual. And that's actually, it's interesting to me that it's actually not speaking of the vile, vile sin in the land. It was life as usual and the charge to remember Lot's life, that in the hour of crisis that we would not be found in love with the world, that we would not be found as those that turn back in longing for what we have actually been called out of. It wasn't sin, it wasn't perversion, it wasn't homosexuality of Sodom that this, the charge is given here. It is drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. And remind you, all of us, we all have to work. I have a garden, I plant, <laughs> my husband builds, I have little projects all around my house for him. I mean, those things happen, but you know what this is actually speaking to? It's speaking about allowing the temporal to drown out our perspective of the inter- eternal. And that is honestly, there is no one upon the face of the earth that is not engaged in that battle. And honestly, if someone says that they're not engaged in that battle, it's because they're completely ignorant that there is a battle. (laughs) And I guarantee it's probably because they're so immersed in a life of pleasure and leisure and living unto this age that they haven't even been awakened to the fact that there's something much greater that is beckoning and calling them. That it's almost like they've been desensitized. Um, So this passage that says, whoever seeks to uh, save his life, that's to seek and preserve the life, the temporal life of this age, will lose it. They'll actually lose in eternity. But whoever loses his life, meaning forsakes temporally. And what I'm speaking of here is the issue of what we put first. Like, obviously, I cook for my child. I'm cooking, I'm found doing the very... But it's where it becomes almost like an, an obsession and what we're living for, and we serve it rather than it serving us. That's really the way that you can define all of these. I mean, listen, hear me. You're going to go shop for clothes, and you're going to want to look fashionable. You're going to, I mean, there, there are the very, very basic needs to humanity to get by. And no one is saying to live a debased life void of those things, but it's the constant place of living in the checks of balances of saying, am I serving this? Is this serving my need while I'm here upon the earth or am I serving it? Mm-hmm. Is it my obsession? Does it control me? Does it dictate my decision-making process? Mm-hmm. That's the place of and even what they're speaking okay. about is that they were immersed in the in the temporal that that was what they were living unto and that was their end. The battle is is not the, the battle is to not be desensitized to the eternal by the ever nagging temporal and the ordinary life. That's really the warning of Lot when he when the, those words are remember Lot's life. That's what the warning is to us. Is that we would not forsake that place of communing with God and honoring his presence first because of there I'm going to tell you there is always going to be more schoolwork There is always going to be plenty of options and opportunities and the busyness of life. There's always going to be more and more to do. It's not until we come to the place that we're radically dedicated and devoted to carving out for the place of prayer. I can honestly tell you prayer is not going to just happen because you find yourself at the end of the day going, I have an extra hour. I just absolutely do not know what to do. I do not know what to do. I have nothing left to do. Everything is done. Every closet is organized. I've already meal planned for the entire week. And I've actually done all my return. Does anybody else in the world always have a list of return telephone calls? I'm always looking going, "Ah, I lost another friend or another peer or a ministry partner because I didn't get back to them this week. I mean, I'm like on the fail list constantly. And I'm okay with that. I'm just okay with that. I, I do my very, very best. But for sanity, there is similar sometimes you got to take your to-do list and go, see ya later. Taking an hour here. Shutting the door. There ain't going to be any kind of contact to me. You're off. I'm ignoring you. And there's one person. I'm going to wait and I'm going to posture myself because everything else in my life hinges upon it. See, if we actually believed that, <laughs> we would order and structure our lives very, very differently than we do. But really, the priority of our time and how we devote our time and what, uh, what our thought pattern of what we're obsessing over and planning for and all of those things, it really reveals the passion of our heart and the longing of our heart. And this right here, the way that it's articulated, the battle is to not be desensitized to the eternal by the ever-nagging temporal the temporal things that will ever be upon you. So then we actually, if you flip back to Luke chapter 18, this is the context. It's setting the stage for the understanding of the end times. And then literally, and this is why I'm, I'm not saying, uh, you know, who, what authority am I on the word of God? But I personally feel as though he actually gives you the answer here. Like when I read this, to be honest, this is the way I read the word of God. I read it and then I think, okay, remember Lot's wife. Okay, if I don't want to be like Lot's wife, you must have an answer for me. Like, it's not simply just the what not to do. He always gives us the, this is what you do. It's not necessarily what you're staying away from or avoiding, but this is your answer. And I feel like when you turn the page to Luke 18, your answer comes. And here it is. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, this is your answer. (laughs) Pray always. And never lose heart. I think I'm actually going to have this put over my mantle. Pray always and never lose heart. I mean, I I think if there's nothing else that we get. I mean, you might not get and perceive the love of God. You might kind of be like, it's a mystery. I don't get it. I don't feel His love. If you pray and posture yourself in the place of prayer and don't lose heart, I guarantee the experiential love of God, you'll get it. If you have an issue with unforgiveness, with bitterness, uh, no matter what it is, if you, we can get a hold of this one thing. Pray always. When you're offended, pray and keep on praying. When you're hurt, pray and keep on praying. When you're discouraged, when things don't go your way, it could be the elections, I mean, anything. <laughs> what, and I understand we have many mixed views in this room. <laughs> Some of you are probably celebrating the elections. And if, if I say anything to offend you, I will just say this. I am radically, violently, with every fiber of my being, pro-life. And I'm very invested with the pro-life movement. So for the sake of the unborn is the only reason I have any remorse over the elections. Everything else can just happen the way it needs to. But somebody needs to be a voice for those babies that we're not advocating for. Um, So, and I'll I'll even speak to that. I mean, the issue of elections, I have people in the pro-life movement right now that have, I mean, we're talking 30 years have been fighting for the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And now we're going to get two su- appointments to the Supreme Court. in the in the day after the election, amongst major pro-life leaders, the language is, we now have another 40-year struggle. Whereas we actually, if we had two appointments under a pro-life president, it was the very possibility of the ending of Roe v. Wade in our generation. Which all of that links very closely to the judgment of God upon a land for the, the shedding of innocent blood. So... Pray always and never lose heart. <laughs> I mean, that is the beginning and the end of the story. Yeah. There's kind of like, there, there's a lot in between, but if you begin and you end with pray always and never lose heart, everything changes in that place. I'm actually going to kind of outline for you, pray always. When, we hear, when you hear the word always, there's some of us, because there's kind of two ways you can interpret the word always. There's the way to interpret the word always kind of like, I always brush my teeth, right? Like, there's not a day that goes by. I mean, just, it would not happen. That I'm not going to brush my teeth in the morning, brush my teeth at night, and many, many days there's times in between. <laughs> uh, so I know I will always brush my teeth. Like, I'm going to always brush them. <laughs> but <Bye. laughs> No. In the sense of, okay, we'll get it off of brushing our teeth. <laughs> Let's just use, okay, let's just say, as a young mother, you enjoy knitting, but you kind of have to lay it down for a season. If a young mother said, I'm not knitting presently, but I will always knit. It's kind of, this is something that will always be a part of my life, even though I'm not presently doing it now. But I will always knit. Right? But then there's the other understanding of always. And that understanding, as always, is constant. Unrelenting. I mean, that's in a place of when you're first in love with someone, you are always thinking of that person. It's constant in your remembrance, in your emotions, what you're meditating on. It's not necessarily, I will always love them, as in five to ten years from now, I'll love them. It's that I'm always thinking of them, and they're always in my remembrance. And this word, always, yes, it does mean the commitment to say, until the day I die, I will be found praying. My commitment is to the place of prayer. But it actually specifically means at all times. It's actually linked with that word to pray without ceasing. To constantly be in that place of conversation and bearing your heart before the Lord. But the word actually to never lose heart in the King James, it literally means pray always and do not faint. That's beautiful. Pray always and do not faint. The word do not faint actually means do not become utterly spiritless. Don't be wearied. Don't be worn out, exhausted, or lose your courage. That's powerful. Pray always and stay in the place of courage. Don't become weary. move us along quickly. I can hear our kids back there. They're doing extremely well, but I actually want you to turn to uh, Matthew 24. <coughs> How many of you guys are familiar with this passage of scripture? And because the law, because lawlessness, I'm sorry, um, 24 verse 12 through 13 And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. This place of enduring, the the word endure literally means he that remains, um, he that tarries, and he that perseveres. The word perseveres actually means that under misfortune, under trial, under hardship, to hold fast and to endure in that place. I mean, all of this actually denotes that it's not necessarily something that comes easily or without struggle. It's the place of endurance. But that's actually what all of this is speaking to. In Luke 17 and Luke 18, this battle for the heart, at the end of Luke 18, verse 8, where where it says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? The question is, will we endure in faith? And even specifically, and according to Matthew twenty four twelve through 13, will we endure in love? Because it says, but because lawlessness will abound, the love of many. It's speaking about love. Right here, he's addressing the love of many is going to grow cold. And so when he says, he that endures to the end will be saved, it's not necessarily kind of just holding on for dear life. It's enduring in love. That at the end, you're found in the place of love that you're still loving him. I mean, it's very, very similar to the understanding of Luke chapter 18, verse 8, that when the Son of Man comes, will he find you in faith? Will he find you in love? And that's the place where it identifies the battle for our heart, is the place of fighting in our heart to keep love and to keep faith alive. The place to cultivate that and guard it above all else. But how many of you guys know, I mean, you guys are so familiar, all of us are, if you've been walking for the Lord probably for any period of time more than six months, that there's seasons in our life that out of pure, genuine love and devotion, we seek him, we read the word, we do the disciplines of the faith because it's born out of love. And then you go through other seasons where you're kind of like, I don't know, did I like fall out of love in Jesus because it's really hard when the alarm clock goes off, I don't want to get up and pray. I'm not, I'm not motivated by that same zeal. But it's really even speaking to that place of fighting for our hearts to remain in love. Mm. And cultivating it. Revelations actually says, and it speaks, return to your first love. And it gives this instruction, do the first works. Actually do what you did in those seasons of great love. Return Mm. to the first works. This word actually, um, pray always. Pray at all times and never lose heart. If you actually, I'm going to read through one more time because we, because we went through 17. I want to read it and then actually I want to close out with verse 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and never lose heart. Actually, before I read this context, I want you through this lens. I know that there's some people that it's kind of like the image here is God is the unjust judge, which is so weird like, hello, unjust judge. Um, but I want to make sure that as we're reading through this, that you understand that number one, it's very, very clear when Jesus is giving this, there's two, two points in verse two and in verse four. In verse two, it says, um, he did not fear God nor regard man. And in verse four, it says, though I, this is the judge speaking, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man. This is literally speaking of this place that is identifying this is not the nature of God. What you're seeing in the unjust judge that she pretty much has to nag him to get an answer. It's not saying this is like God and just keep nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging. And then you're going to get a breakthrough and you're going to get justice. This is actually saying the opposite. It's saying they did, that he did not fear God. This man did not have the nature of God. And actually, where it actually uses the word uh, yet, because it says, though I do not fear God nor regard man, verse five, yet. It means in spite of the fact that I don't fear God, I'm going to answer you. And literally what that is revealing and showing is that the nature of God is not like the unjust judge. And the point that is actually proving to us is that how much more would God answer us how much more does God answer if an unjust judge that does not fear him and does not regard him and is not like his nature will re- grant our requests out of simply basically she haggled him how much more God desires to give us good things and the encouragement to pray See, oftentimes, our lack of prayer has everything to do with our paradigm about God. Has everything to do with our paradigm of who He is and how we... To be honest, many of us don't even believe that our prayers are effective or even needed. We don't even understand this, and it's a whole different message other than today, but we don't even understand the fact that not only does God desire for us to pray... It's actually how he set up and orchestrated his kingdom to work, is in partnership with man. So because we don't see, number one, ourselves as critical in the process, as him desiring us, but we don't see him as the just judge, that he literally says, you upon earth, all you have to do is echo back to me my will. This is my will. I just have to find agreement upon the earth. I need to find a heart and it. He's bound himself to a man that is in agreement. I mean, right there, if you have a hard time hearing that, kind of God has bound himself to having a man upon the earth in agreement. It's the story of Jesus. There's a reason that Jesus was incarnate. Because he needed a physical man to come into agreement with his heart. He bound himself to humanity, which is powerful. Um, So this comparison as far as what God is like, his nature, but yet those who fear God... um, uh, If they had feared God, they would have given given justice. Um, So then further down, then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, who cry out. Say the word cry out. Who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? I had you actually say the word cry out because it wasn't, it was actually during worship today. Daryl was singing something um, about we cry out uh, for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And prior to that, like that, even that language in this passage didn't really strike me. And it's not something that I was meditating on in this passage of scripture. But when Daryl was singing it, I was, this, this is honestly the thought that came to me. I heard the Lord say, that there's nobility in crying out. Mm. Oftentimes we disregard the place of crying out to the Lord, and we're just kind of thinking when the answer comes, that's the reward. Where he actually values, and we need to understand that the simple place of crying out to God, the value, the worth, the honor, in that alone, of being in agreement with his will and his desire, and approaching him and presenting it before him. Mm. That it's glorious before him. The place of crying out. When the son of man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? But even like we read in Matthew, will he find faith? But also, will will we be those that endure in faith? And will we be those that endure in love? In the place of endurance. And the answer comes, how how do we become those that endure in faith? How do we become those that endure in love? The answer is in that verse 1. Is pray always and never lose heart. Mm -hmm. See, oftentimes we cease to pray. I'm going to be honest. I signed up to pray for revival. I don't mean like signed something, but meaning I did a 40 day fast all on my own. No one else kind of, I wasn't a part of like a ministry or a group of people that were in agreement. Um, I was living in Michigan actually going to school and I think I lived most of the year on, which awful, I don't even know how I did it. Now I would never drink orange juice when I'm fasting. I don't know what possessed me to drink orange juice. I know, I was like 18 years old, you know, living in a basement. Actually, you guys all met Chad. It was his basement. Um, living off of OJ for the year. And honestly, it was at that time, it wasn't because of any outward ministry or even outward voice. There was no Lou Engel at that time. Actually, it was the year after we met him in Toronto. He, um, he preached the atomic power of prayer and fasting. Um, but it was from that place, and I can honestly say for how many years ago, and that we've been involved with solemn assemblies and prayer and fasting, whether nationally, internationally, locally. There, let's just be honest. There comes a place, like this passage of Scripture says, Pray always and never lose heart. It says, Pray always and do not get weary. I can honestly say, there are times where I'm sitting in my office, and I know it, that there's, there's spiritual fatigue. I love Jesus. I'm signed up for life, not going anywhere. But there's fatigue in the place of even crying out for revival in our generation or our nation. I have an awesome plaque over my door that it actually gives the definition of hope. And there's times where I look at it and I know that everything inside of me is impregnated with hope to see revival. It's undeniable, it's tangible, so tangible I could taste it. And then there's other times I look and I literally look at that plaque and I just say, God, unless you sovereignly do a work of grace and give me new hope, I'm without it. I've prayed every prayer. I've labored. I've cried years on end for America and the nations of the earth and just to see where we're at. But this is why the answer is pray always and never lose heart. Because as long as you posture yourself in the place of prayer, that's where he can refresh you. That's where he can envision you. That's where he can encourage you. That is the place. But if you're outside of that place, I mean, sometimes, I'll be honest with you, there's times where I leave prayer and I think, I don't feel any more encouraged. My heart feels encouraged, like I met the Lord, but meaning encouraged in certain prayer prayer mandates that I've been praying into for 15 years. I'm still going, I'm not seeing it happen. (laughs) But it's that place of pray always and never lose heart to never grow weary, to never grow faint and understand the nobility of posturing our life in the place of crying out to him. That it's actually, it wasn't his suggestion, it's his command. Remember Lot's wife. And it's that place that when the son of man comes, that he would find us in faith. That, he wouldn't, that we would not be the ones that have been overcome by fear and despair and discouragement In offense, I love even the passage of scripture that says to be unoffended in the day of his appearing. Do you realize how many opportunities there are? Okay, offended with one another? Yeah, sure, we all understand that. But how many times that we have the opportunity even to be offended with God? That he's delayed an answer to prayer or hasn't done things the way that we thought or the way that even we thought he spoke to us. That place of being unoffended. You know in Revelations, I actually love this. In revelations, literally as judgments are being released, and I'm sure the amount of tragedy, persecution, hardship that's filling the earth, the response of the saints is, you are beautiful in your judgments, oh God. See, actually the word faith, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The word faith, actually one of the understandings of it is, to obey, to yield, but to trust. Will he find trust? That we trust his leadership. That we trust his ways. This is the story of even understanding the parable of the unjust judge. Because the unjust judge, you could never trust even their leadership or how they would rule a situation. But coming before the Lord in prayer, it's trusting his heart. It's trusting his wisdom. That he knows all. He sees all. That he has an understanding of time and distance. And that even in delay, it's because of his heart that is good towards us. See, that's the place of trust. That even when the outcome does not look like you think it's supposed to, it's trusting his heart in the midst of it. And that is the only place that we actually can pray and keep on praying. Because we trust his leadership. And we trust that even if it doesn't look like today, or next week, or next month, or even next year, that when we posture ourselves in that place, we so trust Him that we have faith in Him. Our faith is alive in that we trust who He is. See, we'll, we will cease to pray. You might have a loved one that you're praying for. You might have an unsaved family member. You might have a financial crisis or something that needs to be turned around. We will cease to pray if we don't are not fully persuaded and convinced of the heart of God. If we are not fully in a place of trusting His heart, In his leadership, his character, and his ways. And that's actually one of the understandings. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? Will he find trust? Will he find love? And regardless of circumstances or even how things appear, the resolve to pray always and never lose heart. I feel like that's what the Lord is speaking to us, even for this next season of building the house of prayer, that regardless of circumstance, pray always. And never lose heart. Even the, the understanding of cry out to him. That language that is used in this passage of scripture. And, and shall God not avenge his own elect. Who cry out to him day and night. How many of you guys are actually familiar um, with the passage of scripture in Matthew 17 verse 20. I'm sure all of you are familiar with this account. But we're actually just going to close out. with this story and this once again shows the place of how our our faith is actually cultivated from the place of prayer uh matthew 17 verse 17 says then jesus answered and said oh faithless and perverse generation this is the disciples that just came to christ basically saying um that they tried to pray pray for the son that was an epileptic and that nothing happened they were kind of like what what's going on here how come you can do it and we can't And this is how Jesus responded. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could could we not cast it out? And this is Jesus' answer. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind comes out only except by prayer and by fasting. He actually links the place of by prayer and fasting. His first charge is, because of your unbelief. He didn't come out and actually say, because of your lack of prayer and fasting. He said, because of your unbelief. And then he went on in conclusion to say, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And that is that in the place of prayer and fasting, that your faith is increased. In the place of prayer and fasting, you won't be found in unbelief. And it's that place of understanding the the relationship and the connection between praying, pray always, and never lose heart. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? That place that if you're praying always, that when the Son of Man comes, you will be found in, in faith. And the also understanding was crying out day and night. That place of crying out day and night, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith, faith upon the earth? That if there's the posture of day and night prayer, of continual prayer, that when he comes, he will find faith upon the earth. And it needs to be the resolve of every single one of our hearts, that regardless of whether it's... School or family or business. I mean, every single one of us have those ordinary things like Lot's wife. Hey, let's just be straight up real. Lot's wife was not involved with the perversion. She didn't take part, and actually the Lord was allowing her to be delivered out. The judgment that came upon her is because her attachment to such temporal things of this age, rather than having her heart sealed in eternity. And that's really the warning to all of us. Remember Lot's wife. That not to become entangled and distracted and so ensnared with temporal things. That we don't take time to posture ourselves in the place of pray always. And never lose heart. That faith and love can be cultivated inside of us. Let's stand to our feet. with a word of prayer but if there's anybody that wants um, specific prayer just before you leave today just grab somebody to pray for you. God we just thank you Father for even this parable in Luke 18 Father how it reveals your goodness and your nature and your kindness. Lord that you are not like the unjust judge. Lord how much more you desire to give us good things. Lord, how much more you desire to release justice in our lives and on our behalf. So God, I ask you, Lord, even now God, any one of us in this place, God, that is not convinced and persuaded, Lord, of your goodness and your kindness of your gentleness and even your your zeal on our behalf, Lord, to bring forth justice in our life. God, we ask, Lord, that our our mind and our understanding, our hearts and our perceptions would be transformed to see you rightly. And God, we ask, Lord, as a people, Lord, that we would posture our lives, Lord, to pray always and to never lose heart. Lord, that at the coming of the Son of Man, Lord, that we would be found in faith. God, we pray, Lord, even right now, not just for our own hearts and our own lives, But God, even as this parable speaks, Lord, of the coming of the Son of Man, God, we do ask, Lord, that all across, Lord, this city, God, all across this nation and the nations of the earth, Lord, that you would raise up, Lord, night and day prayer, Lord, crying out to you for speedy justice. Lord, that at the day of your appearing, Lord, that you would find faith upon the earth. Lord, that you would find hearts that are in partnership with you, Lord, find us with hearts that are awakened and alive in faith. Lord, find us with hearts that are awakened and alive in love. God, we say, Lord, we don't want to be given over to such temporal things. God, that our longing and our passion for you is drowned out. But God, we want to be those that live with eyes of eternity, Father. So God, raise us up as a praying people. Lord, as a tenacious people. Lord, that call upon you and never cease to cry out. Lord, regardless of circumstance or outcome. Lord, that we would be found faithful. God, we ask for the raising up of night and day prayer, Lord, those that cry out for speedy justice, for God, we ask, Lord, that each one of us, God, would be found, Lord, as a house of prayer before You, unceasing worship, in an unceasing cry of prayer before You, Father. Lord, make it the reality of our lives. We worship You, Jesus. This
1: is. Desire you, my soul. Father, we ask, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would come. Bring more clarity, God. Bring more understanding, Father, to that which You're calling us to, Lord. Through the parable of Luke 18, Father, I ask, Lord, that You would be gracious, Lord. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. We want to pray with anybody who needs prayer. I know Bethany opened that uh, up earlier, but if you have to leave, also feel... um, uh, you know, uh, allowed to leave if you have to. But if you need prayer for anything, healing in your body, something in agreement, whatever it might be, just want to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Um, and we want to invite you up to get some prayer before you go. Alright? Other than that, we love you. And we thank you for coming here this evening. Don't be a stranger. Come back again. Bye-bye. You know, uh, I need some grass. What did you do? I for You, there. you know, gonna uh, gonna country, right? and, uh, i have going to be in business. Now we want to stop going. Alright. And, um, i heard, like, I up a I think going yeah, I mean, yeah.